I don't know about you guys, but I think that was a good word right there. And it's, it's the truth. You know, the heart of God is the heart of a father because God is a father. And his heart is reconciliation. And it's his heart that, that everyone, he, he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all to come to know him. He wants all to come to repentance. He wants nobody to be lost. He wants all to be saved and no one to perish. Some would teach that he's already saved everyone and everyone's going to heaven. That is not what we teach because we don't believe that's what the Bible teaches. But we do teach that Jesus died for all. And now it's not the sins of men and women, boys and girls, <clears throat> that would include or exclude them from the kingdom. If that was the case, then we're all, we're, I was going to say something, bad. We're, all, we're all skewed. We're, we're missing the mark because there is no, there is no amount of self-righteous deeds you and I could do to get into heaven, to earn heaven. Jesus took our sins, the sins of the world, upon himself on the cross. He carried the sins of the earth, of the whole entire human race. He bore our sins in his body while on the tree. And he no longer counts people's sins against them. So what does that mean? What, what, is the, what is the point of, what is the entry point of getting saved or not being saved? Is it what you do or don't do? If sin has been removed, if the obstacle of sin no longer can keep you from coming to know Jesus, to coming, coming into a relationship with him, then what is it that keeps people out of heaven? It's, it's whether or not they choose to receive Jesus as Lord. Because men and women will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. They would rather not come to Jesus. They won't be judged for, for I mean, judgment happens towards sin, but Jesus took the judgment for our sins on the cross. And now the, the, the final judgment is whether we reject or receive Jesus Christ, the only one who could take away the sins of the world, and that we, we come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, that we become one with him and become born again, born of the Spirit of God. That's what born again means. It means the Holy Spirit upon you having faith in Jesus, coming to put your trust that he died for you, that you say, Jesus, I want you in my life. And he comes into your body and unites his spirit, Holy Spirit, with your spirit, becoming one new spirit within you. And you're born of the spirit. You're born a second time. You're a new creation, no longer a person that's ever walked on this earth before. You're brand spanking new. You're like a brand new baby, except for you could be 15 years old or you could be 50 years old and step into this new birth relationship with God. So the heart of God is that all would come to Jesus. And Jesus said, if, if, if the Son of Man, if the Son of God would be lifted up on the cross, he will draw all men to himself. He wants us to just lift high Jesus everywhere we go, that Jesus would be the center of your life and in my life, and that through us being centered on the kingdom and the king, that people would be drawn to Jesus in our lives. 
just like the prodigal son that he was talking about in that, in that prophetic video word, that we need to prepare. We need to prepare for the reentry. He's, he's going to start drawing people home. He, he's already drawing people who aren't walking with him to come back home, to come to know him. Maybe it'll be their first time being exposed to the kingdom. Maybe it'll be something that they walked away from in their teenage years. But God, is, his spirit is drawing people. Jesus said, uh, or actually it's in Joel, but, um, and then one of the apostles uh, repeated it, Peter, in the book of Acts, that in the last days, God said he would pour out his spirit on all flesh. He's pouring out his spirit on everybody, that they would, would be drawn like a magnet. They would be drawn to Jesus. So last week, you know, we talked about intimacy and authenticity. That's kind of one of the words. Should we sit down? Or stand. I feel like there's only two people in the front row, so it just makes it feel like everyone's, I don't know. We're going to uh, scoot our chairs up here. You guys good? Everybody good? Okay. <sighs> That's much better. Now I can see eye level with everybody. Makes me think of something I heard about a school board and all the teacher, all the parents that had never been to these school board meetings coming, and the school board was up high looking down on them. <laughs> and they're the ones that work for us. Anyway, I'm not going to get political here. <clears throat> but now we're eye level because we are all on the same playing field. We all have the same grace, the same Jesus, the same blood of the Lamb that has taken away all of our sins. We are all one in Christ. There is no difference between any of us. There's no one who's more holy than the other. The playing field is level in Jesus. So last week we talked about uh, intimacy with God and authenticity and in that being kind of the, the framework or the foundation for you and I being priests. Being a priest of God means you're you're a minister first and foremost. This is part of our class, by the way. Being a minister first and foremost unto God. So he is our, our ministry number one. It's from you to him. This is for all of you. That's what your quiet time is all about. Your, your set-apart time, basically not just your set-apart time, it's your life. Your whole life is designed by God to be a ministry unto him first, that you would... You would be a worshiper. You would be a person that, that has learned the secrets of the blessing of being thankful and full of praise to God, being a true worshiper, the kind of worshiper that the Father seeks, those who worship in spirit and in truth. So intimacy is so important for all of us because he saved us into a relationship with him, not a religion, not a, not a list of do's and don'ts, and then you just fulfill the list of do's and don'ts and attend church every week and do your extra classes and pay your tithe, and then when you die someday, they'll, they'll uh, you know, bury you in the church or whatever. I don't know. <clears throat> That's not what it's all about. It's all about you having a relationship with Jesus yourself, personally. If I didn't have a relationship with him myself, I wouldn't want to be doing what I'm doing right now because that would be scary. But as an intimate lover of God, as someone who has a relationship with God, you are invited into a, a place of intimacy with him and being authentic. And as you 
as you have an authentic, intimate relationship with him, you, you begin to step into your identity. Your identity in Christ is that you are first and foremost a son or a daughter of God. And you get the spirit of sonship by who you get to call out to God as your father. So there's this new relationship established between, between you and God the Father through Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross. You get to call God your dad, your father. And it's Father's Day today. And so we're going to give a little extra emphasis on our Father God because he's a good father and he takes good care of his children. <clears throat> so another facet of our sonship or daughtership, is that a word? There's ships? I don't know. And we're talking about ships floating. I didn't know there was even a sun, a sunshine ship. No, no. It's something about being a son or a daughter. Not only are you a priest and a son and a daughter, you're also called to be an ambassador. What does an ambassador do? They, re they, they go into a country not their own, and they represent the country that they're from. You and I live in a land that really, it's ours in the natural. We, we take possession of this land. But we have a home away from home. We, we actually are citizens of a kingdom, of the realm of the spirit where the king of kings and the lord of lords is seated right now at the, at the right hand of the father. <clears throat> and the Bible says that you and I are seated with him in that place right now in the heavenly realm. So you and I are bilocational. We're seated in heaven, but we're also sitting on these Costco chairs here at 726 Lebo Boulevard. We're, we're in the spirit, and we, we are seated with Christ. So you can just lean into him right now and just say, Lord, I love you. Thank you for being my, my God and my protector. But you're an ambassador. You and I are ambassadors. We, we represent the kingdom of God. And we're also called ministers of reconciliation. So that word that we received, that we heard from, uh, from Chris is so important because God in his heart wants to bring sons and daughters, prodigals home. He wants to bring them back into the fold of his kingdom, of his family. And he's given you and I a ministry to be ready to receive them and, and, for, and to go out and actually reach them and bring them to him, not just bringing them to church. Well, that would be great if you want to bring people to church. But more importantly, bringing them into a relationship with God through your own testimony of what he's done in your life, by, by knowing who you are as a minister, first to God and then to, to humans. So this ministry you and I have is called the Ministry of Reconciliation. And we're going to look at um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I think it's verse 19 that this starts out with. It's nice and big. Can you guys see that okay? If you can't, man, I don't know what kind of prescription you need, but that's pretty, pretty big letters. So this is a really awesome scripture. It says, For it is Christ's love that fuels our passion and holds us tightly. You know, I just pray that everyone in this room knows the love of Jesus for you, that you would be so freed by experiencing, sorry, pulling your hair, by experiencing and just knowing and not even doubting one tiny bit of the love, the vastness of the love of Jesus for you. Paul prayed it in Ephesians, I believe it's chapter 3, um, that you and I, I think it's chapter 2 actually, that you and I, it's somewhere in Ephesians, 
that you, would, you and I would, would get wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God and that we would know the, the depth and the height and the width and the breadth of the love of God for each one of us and that we would be so filled with that love that we would come into the fullness of God. So it's so important to the heart of God that you know he loves you like no other. You could just look at yourself in the mirror some morning, maybe tomorrow morning or tonight, and just say, you, wink at yourself, you are one of his favorites. He loves you like none other. His love for you is, is unimaginable. It's so deep. You could drown in his love. It's just that huge. So it's Christ's love that fuels our passion. If you think Jesus hates you, you're not going to have much passion to go tell other people. You're like, guess what? You know, God hates you, but you should uh, come to Jesus and get your sins forgiven or else you're going to die and burn in hell someday. <clears throat> That's kind of a miserable message, right? No, he wants his love to fuel our passion and hold you. He, he, God wants you and I to be gripped in his love. As you encounter him and you come to know him, that you would just be so held in the arms of his love for you, that you would receive that embrace I pray that you guys would, in your private time with God, you would feel an embrace of heaven around you. That as you worship him, you would feel his arms just pull you in. And you would feel that pressure of his love wrapping around you. Because we are convinced that he has given his life for all of us. Period. This means that all died with him. So that those who live should no longer live self-absorbed lives but lives that are poured out for him, the one who died for us and now lives again. So that's what it's all about. He died for me, so I'm going to lay down my life and live for him. I'm going to live my life for the one who died and gave it all for me. My life is no longer my own. I died with Christ. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but now it's Christ who lives in me. So, there is this thing, this part of our walk with Jesus, this intimate part where we get to tell him on a daily basis, hopefully, if you think about it. I mean, it's not like it's a religious rule, but on a daily basis, you get to say to him, hey, God, I, I lay my life down before you today. I, I yield my life before you. I'm yours. I'm your daughter. I'm your son. Here I am. Do whatever you want to do in my life. And it's all because he died for, he loved you. We love him because he first loved us. It's the love of God that draws us, it pulls us. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And it's that same love and kindness of God that he wants you and I to pour out to those that are not yet walking with him so that they will feel the welcome mat to come running home. We get to represent or represent the Father's heart to men and women everywhere we go, wherever your sphere is at. So let's continue in this passage here. <clears throat> because of all of that, because of the love of Jesus gripping you and knowing that you aren't your own anymore, he died for you and you get to live for him. So from now on, we refuse to evaluate people merely by their outward appearances. I'm not going to judge what you're wearing. I'm not going to judge your haircut. I'm not going to look at you and say, you know, you know, just based on what I see on the outside, eh, meh, M-E-H. Is that how you pronounce that? Meh. Meh, yeah. That's not, what, that's not what God wants us to do. Now, we are physical human beings wrapped up in this body of flesh. 
We have eyes and ears. We, we sense things around us. We, we can pick up a lot through the visual. You can make a lot of assessments of what's going on in your own life and in other people's lives based on what you see. But we are not, God has not called us to, to look at the outward appearance and judge, make a judgment call based on what you see with your eyes. Just like you probably hope, and I hope, that people in the church world, especially, especially leaders and, and whoever, that they wouldn't just look at you and, and judge you based on what they see or your history. That they wouldn't say, well, you've only been walking with Jesus for a couple of years, and your progress isn't really what I would like to see. You know, that's none of their business about your progress. They, we need to cheer one another on. And God, according to the scripture, he's calling us to, to look beyond the history, look beyond the outward appearance, to look with the eyes of God, look into a person's heart and be able just to see the things that God is calling them into, to run into. We no longer, or we refuse, actually, according to the Passion Translation, we refuse to evaluate people merely by their outward appearances. For that's how we once viewed the anointed one, Jesus. <clears throat> but we no longer see him with limited human insight. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new person. And that is related to the old order. All, excuse me, has, is related. All that is related to the old order has vanished. I joked last week, if the devil reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. No one dare needs to bring your past up and throw it in your face. If you are walking with God and you are running after everything he has for you, your past, yesterday is gone. <clears throat> Excuse me. Paul said, one thing I do, I, don't, I have not yet obtained all of this stuff that, he, that he's preached about. I have not yet obtained, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and pressing on towards the goal from, by which I've been called heavenward in Christ Jesus. We forget yesterday. We put it behind us. What has been forgiven is gone. You cannot go back and fix yesterday. You've got now and the future to live forward to. Now, we don't... We don't remove every memory of all the good stuff God did in the past, but we, we don't, we're not known according to our history anymore. We're a court, we are known by God according to his story, his history for you. Are you wrapped up in his story? Are, is your life in the storyline of God that he's written out for you? That's what is important. And that is what the Holy Spirit is bent on, that, that he would have his way in, in just shaping and molding and calling you deeper and deeper and deeper into the, into the likeness, into the things of God, into the likeness of Jesus. He doesn't look at all the mistakes you've made. He doesn't say, well, you screwed up pretty bad yesterday, son or daughter. That sounds more like the devil's voice. He says, no, you are a son, you are a daughter, stand up this day because my grace and my mercy for you is new every morning. Great is my faithfulness towards you. Now stand up and be strengthened in my grace. Stand up, walk with me, press on towards the goal. Forget yesterday, it's done. And if you try to bring to remembrance to God something he's forgotten, I think he probably gets a little irritated because he's like, I've forgotten about this. I don't know what you're even talking about. You're bugging me about stuff that has nothing to do with today and tomorrow. So shake off the dust of yesterday. Come on, child. 
I don't know. Does he spank you guys? He spanks me sometimes, but anyway. Okay, all that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is new and fresh. Say fresh. Sniff your neighbor and say, you smell fresh. <laughs> Sniff him like Joe Biden. Come on. No, I just... <laughs> oh, I had to throw that one in there. He's right behind you, America. Okay. So, behold, everything is new and fresh. Tammy's going to slap me silly after this one. Good thing I can edit the recording. <clears throat> okay, so based on all of that, based on, on who you are in Christ, that you're a new creation, you are new and fresh. <laughs> now what? And God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself and given us a ministry. Hmm, say to your neighbor, you are in the ministry. Barbara, Jill, Will, Will and, ha and Holly, Marshall, Will, and Holly on a routine expedition <clears throat> to the land of the lost, right? Okay, hey, we could change that song. Some of you guys are like, what is he talking about? Okay, God has made all things new and reconciled, him to him, reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconcil reconciling others to God. Boom, you have a ministry. It's reconciliation. In other words, it was through the anointed one, that's Jesus, in case you're not sure what that means, it was through the anointed one, Jesus, that God was shepherding the world. In Christ Jesus, God is shepherding the world, not even keeping records of their transgressions. We need to get this in us, guys. We need to not keep records of people's screw-ups and mistakes. Willful or unwillful. Now, if someone is, let me just clarify. I'm not saying that if you're in a situation where someone is abusive and sinning against you and, and just, you know, not edifying your life one bit, but they're actually drawing you away from, from how God, you know, speaking negativity, verbal abuse, physical abuse, whatever, an unhealthy relationship, that doesn't mean you should stay there, Okay. You are worth more than that. And if someone doesn't value you in your life in a healthy, godly way, then you really don't need that kind of an influence. And it's your choice to submit yourself to whatever types of influence relationships that, that are around you. Now, we could go into the whole marriage thing. If you're married to somebody that's a non-believer and they're, you know, <clears throat> I probably won't want to rabbit trail too much into that. There are, there are biblical um, outs. There are biblical reasons to step out of that relationship, but there are also biblical reasons to stay. And that we could talk about another time, but really this is ultimately coming down to who you have a choice to invite into your life. Do you have healthy people calling out the good stuff in your life, or do you have negative influences that are just dragging you down? And it's your choice. Why did I even go there? I don't know. Shepherding the world. God was shepherding the world, not counting sins against us. He has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. I have no idea how I got that rabbit trail, but maybe it'll come back. Right. Yeah. But there was a reason why I went there, but that's okay. It's okay. Transgressions, yeah. Okay, because God doesn't count our transgressions against us, so we shouldn't count everyone's sins against them. 
But that doesn't mean stay in a relationship where they're just willfully sinning against you and, and abusive. There we go. Thank you. Yes, you can forgive them, and you actually have to forgive them. It's not an option. Forgiveness, now it is an option, but if you're going to walk with God and, and keep moving with him, he's going to make sure you stay free. And freedom comes when you forgive people. You let them off the hook. We'll go into that before. We'll go into that, but, but the answer, the short answer is God has, has called us to forgive our enemies, to forgive anyone who has sinned against us. So, so yes, and, and if a person is struggling with that, there is help. There is help to get through it. So the rest of the scripture says we are ambassadors of the anointed one. Okay, so Jesus is the anointed one. Jesus took your mountain of sin and he took it away from you. He died on the cross. While we were yet sinners, while we were the enemies of God, Jesus died for us. He chose to forgive us. He said on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And as, as ambassadors of that person, that God-man that died on the cross for you and I, we are called to carry that same message of reconciliation, that same message of forgiveness. Ambassadors of the anointed one who carry the message of Christ to the world as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. Wow. So God wants you and I to plead with people as though it was God himself saying, he, he loves you. He wants you to just come to him. He can, he can get you freed from the, the stuff on the inside, the hurt, the pain, the years of things that you're carrying on the inside. He can heal those places. All you need to do is just begin, come to him and begin a relationship with him and let him, let him clean you up, let him free you up on the inside and do that, that process of transformation. Transformation is a lifetime process with God. It's nothing that we need to rush. It's just something that we need to, to place our hands, place ourselves in the hands of the potter and he will shape us, he will mold us. But the trick is to stay in his hands. Sometimes he starts shaping and molding, get you on the spinning wheel, and you're like, ah, I don't like this. I just want to go back to the old way. Let me go back to Egypt, right? Okay, you guys doing okay? Everybody doing all right? I'm going to try to put the pedal to the metal a little bit here. So we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf, turn back to God and be reconciled to him. That is the message, not... Maybe you need to quit that little habit you got there. You know, maybe you shouldn't, you know, watch those kind of movies. You know, maybe you should stop watching R-rated movies and come to church. You know, that's the old religion is just about what you can do and what you can't do. And let me clean your life up for you and get you ready to come to church. But God is saying, no, I am, I am the Holy Spirit, not you. I will be the Holy Spirit, the spirit of holiness that will cleanse them, that will change them so that it's not something that they are talked into by, by man, because if a man could talk you into it, then someone, another person can talk you out of it. But when God talks you into it, and he encounters your life in a powerful way through transformation, you're not going to want to go back. Once you taste and see how good the Lord is, you are not going to want to go back. I don't want to go back to how I was before Christ. I have stories that I could tell, and it sounds like it was fun, but I have lots of stories that I could tell that were horrible. 
Like I thought many times I was going to die or people were going to kill me. That's all I'm going to say. I'm not going into it. Tammy always gets nervous. I'm not going to glorify the past. It's just, it's just the, the truth. I probably should be dead right now if it wasn't for the grace of God. So the end of this scripture says, For God made the only one who did not know sin, that's Jesus, to become sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. All people need to do is come into union with Jesus and receive through that union the righteousness of God, not your own righteousness that you accomplish by doing good stuff and, and avoiding sin as much as possible because you'll never be perfectly sinless, but you can actually get really close. <laughs> I'm not saying that um, you shouldn't aim for living a holy, godly life. That is what we're called to. But as that's not what we base our relationship on God on. It's not your performance. It's your union with him and the righteousness that is credited to you and I through faith. We receive the righteousness that is by faith. Paul talks about this all through Romans. Read Romans uh, 3, 4, 5, 6, all of that section, and you'll, you'll see how the Israelites, they tried to please God by doing righteousness through works. But righteousness through works can't save us. They missed the mark because they didn't, they didn't add the element of faith. They, they didn't believe. See, Abraham was credited righteousness just because he believed God. And we are sons and daughters of Abraham because we share that same faith he had. He believed God what he said, and God says, you know what? Because you believe, I'm going to credit that to your account, righteousness. I'm going to bless you with that full account of righteousness because you believed. And we are those who believe what God has said. And because you and I have believed, you and I receive the gift of righteousness. So the Bible says what you've received, you get to work it out. You've received the gift of righteousness. Now we need to let it be walked out. We need to walk in what we've already obtained. Does that make sense? It's kind of a a little bit of a thing to wrap your brain around. Like sometimes you just got to take the noodles and just like, oh, I got to really struggle to picture this. Just meditate on the word of God. Just chew on it. Take just that one thing and just think on it. And, and God, and ask, talk to him about it. He will show you. He will teach you. Okay, so we're going to kind of finish off with this. And it's Father's Day. And... We're going to talk a little bit about, we did this last week. You know, we talked about um, the power of forgiveness, the importance of forgiveness. Jesus said, you know, if we do not forgive our brother or our sister, or if we, if we don't forgive somebody, that God basically places us in a penalty box. We, we end up in a prison. And it's, it's a place where many people get stuck because they, I just stuttered, BB. Because, but because they get stuck and unforgiveness, and it's, forgiveness is so important to God that you and I would walk in it because it keeps, it keeps us free, and it keeps us hearing him, and it keeps us moving with him. So to God, especially as you, you being a minister of reconciliation and a representative of his kingdom, representing the one who died to take away all of your sin 
every single part, the million gazillion dollar debt you owe to God. Because of that, he wants you to represent him by you not counting people's sins against them, but forgiving them when they have a little debt of sin towards you. Does that make sense? God took the mountain. He expects you just to forgive people as well. Now, there's some keys to walking in forgiveness. Because forgiveness is so important to God, and Jesus made it clear to us that, that how serious God takes it. Sorry, I'm seeing a shadow outside there. It's distracting me. Um, we're just going to talk about some, some keys for forgiveness. Let me just point out a couple things here. This little slide here is a, is a slide that comes from an inner healing toolbox. Okay, sometimes people get stuck in un- unforgiveness. They get stuck with wounds and hurts and believing lies. And sometimes those, those things get us so stuck that we get trapped in, in habits and things that go along with believing lies. And so we need freedom. We all need measures of freedom. And you could take this tool. I'll, I'll walk you guys through this. But we can take this tool and you can actually find freedom by practicing some of the things in this. So this is what we're, this is called the father ladder. Someone said it's actually originally was called wounds and lies, but someone said, well, it looks kind of like a ladder. So they called it, Bethel calls it the father ladder. So basically in our lives, you know, we, we know that God is father, son, and Holy Spirit, father, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. Father, fathers in, in earthly existence, if you cross over, are responsible for identity. Whose kid are you? Your last name is Anderson. You must be the son of Ander. There's something valuable and important about the identity you receive from your father. Wounds and lies come in when our earthly fathers fall short in these areas of identity, providing identity, protection, and provision. So fathers, in a sense, compared to Father God, they meet the need of your body. They protect you, they give you identity, and they provide for you. It's, it's important. Now, this is not a strict rule. It's not like mothers can't provide and mothers can't speak identity. But generally, as human beings, we get those things from the father in the home. From not if you don't have a father in the home, then fathers in your life, whether they're spiritual leaders or mentors, men in your life as a man or a woman that speaks identity and provision and protection over your life. Does that make sense? Anybody kind of tweaked about this? If you do have questions about it, I don't want to open it up now because we'll never get out of here, but I'd be happy to talk about it afterwards, okay? These aren't perfect tools, but they are definitely powerful and they do help. Jesus, you know, we sing that song, Jesus, you're my best friend, and you will always be, and I will love you forever. Is that somehow it goes? Jesus oftentimes correlates in our lives like our best friend. And best friends could be your, your siblings or your neighborhood people you grew up with. And what, what we get from, from friends, from siblings, from Jesus, Jesus is my companion. He meets the needs of my soul. He provides communication. I could dump out my heart before him. I could pray. I could say, Jesus, I'm struggling with how people have been towards me. You know, whatever the story is, you can have deep, prayerful, 
interaction in prayer with Jesus, right? Most people are pretty comfortable talking to Jesus in prayer. Not everybody's comfortable saying, Daddy God. You know, some people are more comfortable with Holy Spirit than Jesus or the Father. It just, we'll, we'll get to the point of this in a second here. So Jesus meets the needs of your soul companionship. He's always with you. He will never leave you or forsake you. He's your best friend. He says that he's not ashamed to call you brother or sister, according to uh, Hebrews chapter 2. He, he calls you brother or sister. So that's pretty wild. And then we look at the Holy Spirit, who meets the need of our inner world, our inner person, our spirit. We're not saying that the Holy Spirit is a woman, because the Bible's clear that he, the Holy Spirit, is referred to as a hymn, as the male, uh, what's that called, hymns and hers, it's not a noun, well, anyway, you know what I'm talking about, I'm not a, I wasn't homeschooled, but I was a high school dropout, so it's the next best thing, <laughs> so the Holy Spirit does correlate a lot with things that our mothers provide, our mothers are nurturers, who do you run to when you're a little boy, like Oscar, and you fall down outside. Who are you going to run to, Oscar, if you fall down outside? Are you going to run to me or your mom? You're going to run to mom because mom is just is so comfort comforting. Moms know how to kiss the boo-boo. It's all okay. Oh, are you okay? Moms are just so good at just nurturing and loving and, and teaching. You know, there's a reason why most teachers, not all, but most teachers have in the history have been women. Um, mothers are a teacher in the home to the young children that they're raising up. Does this kind of make sense? Are you guys kind of seeing the picture of how dads are, how siblings are, and how, how moms are in our lives? <clears throat> the reason why this is on the ladder, the earthly things that each one of these members of life to us represent, oftentimes we can correlate how we relate to the Father and to Jesus, and to the Holy Spirit. Now, we're going to just focus on, here, we're going to focus on the Father mainly. Here's some questions you can ask yourself. Maybe you guys just, if you want to look at that for a minute, and, and we'll just pray through some of this before we wrap up. We are going to wrap up in just a few minutes. This is the end of what we're doing here. So if you were to close your eyes right now, and why don't we just do this? Let's just close our eyes. If you were to picture in your mind right now, Father God, what does he look like? I'm not asking you to answer out loud. I just want you to picture what he looks like to you. And just think about that for a minute. And I'll just throw some questions out. Is he close? Is he distant? Is he smiling? Does he have a newspaper in front of his face? Is he, is he happy to be with you? Is he, is he uh, like a statue? Some would say, well, it kind of looks like Abraham Lincoln. Oftentimes, based on how you view Father God, it can tell you something very deep about how you may need to forgive your earthly father. So I'm just going to go for a minute here. And I'm just going to ask you guys just to uh, pray with me. This may not be you, 
But if you want to pray this after me, just, just if it means something to you, then just pray it out. So just pray with me. Father God, I choose to forgive my earthly father for not speaking identity over my life. For not providing for all my needs. I forgive my dad for not protecting me when people were doing harm to me. I forgive my dad for not watching closer over my life. I forgive him for not being there for me at my games or at school performances or when something was being celebrated in my life. I forgive my dad for spending more time on his phone or the computer instead of having fun with me. I choose to forgive him now. And Father, I renounce the lie that you would treat me the same way. Okay, so just open your eyes. Do you see how for many people and maybe for yourself that how you see the Father could actually cause, and I'm talking about Father God, how you see God as a Father in your life, how the wounds and lies that have happened to you in your earthly relationship with your Father or even a spiritual leader or a male figure, an uncle, if there was abuse, if there was pain of any sort, can you see how it, it can actually blur the way you relate to God the Father? Does that make sense? This is just a tool. If, if you're stuck, if, if you feel like you're stuck, you don't have to close your eyes and picture the Father. You don't have to picture Jesus. But you can start there if you want. I would encourage you to just talk to each member of the Godhead. Talk to Jesus. Say, Jesus, is there anyone I need to forgive? Holy Spirit, do I need to forgive my mom? You know, my mom should have been, you know, according to what we read there, mothers are nurturing and teaching. Let's just close our eyes for that one real quick. So, if, Holy Spirit, I choose to forgive my earthly mom for not nurturing me, for not taking care of my bodily needs when I was hurt, for not really seeming to be there even though she was there, for not being able to teach me, for not comforting me when I needed it. I choose to forgive my earthly mom. In Jesus' name. So how you and I see this is, we're going to wrap it up with this. So how you and I see the Father and Jesus and the Holy Spirit answers a lot of questions possibly of how you need to forgive 
who you could forgive or how you can forgive your earthly family members or parents or influences in your life. So the key is to forgive the correlating family member and renounce the lie that that member of the Godhead that kind of correlates across would treat you the same way. Does that make sense? So it kind of comes down to this. What is the lie I'm believing about you, God? You can ask him this anytime you want. You can just, in your alone time, God, are there any lies that I'm believing about you? And he'll tell you. He will, he will speak to your heart anything that you're believing. Maybe that you don't think he's going to provide for your needs in the future or that he's not going to protect you from harm or that sickness is going to be your end instead of his, his protection, his provision for your, your body, health, whatever it might be that you're going to be lonely, that he won't provide relationships around you, like siblings abandoning you. And whatever the lie is, we can ask God, what are the lies that we're believing? And, what, and then we can ask him, what is the truth? And more importantly, we could ask him what he thinks of us. So why don't we stand? <clears throat> it's, it's not worth having thoughts in your mind about yourself that God doesn't think about you. So let's just ask him, Father God, what do you think of me? Father God, Jesus, what do you think of me? What do you think of me, Lord? I'm just going to speak out a few things over us that I feel like I'm hearing him say. And it might be for you specifically or for all of us. But I just hear him say, you're fun to be with. I love to be with you. I love to hear your voice when you sing, even though you think you have a bad voice. I love it when you get wild and dance around. I love your laugh. I love the way I designed your face, the sparkle in your eye. I love every little quirk about you, about your character. I love your personality. I made it. I designed you. I am your father. I am your father and I'm a good father. I love it when you come close to me. I love it when you lean into me for things that you need and I'm ready to give those things to you because I give good gifts to my sons and daughters. I am a provider and I am your provider. I will take care of you. I will surround you with companions, but I will be your protector. When there are nobody is around you, I will pick you up and I will put you on my shoulders. When you can't see what's happening in life right now, I will pick you up. I will put you on my shoulders and you can see how small things look from up here. 
In fact, you can come and spend time with me anytime you want. I will never push you away. I'm never too busy for you. You have my full attention, says Father. You have my full attention. You might wonder about other planets in the universe, but my focus is on this one, and my attention is on you. I know everything about you. I know your past, your present, your future, and I love you how you are. I have plans for your life, plans to bless you, plans to make you happy. Even though darkness might come against you, I will give you joy on the inside. I will be your steady, your steadfast. I will be the one that keeps you strong in your core because I'm your father and you are my daughter and you are my son.